Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. My name is Neil Mackay and thanks for listening. Now my guest today was actually born in Indonesia and moved to Saigon when she was five years old. And now she works for a beer company that came out of India called Beera 91, which is now moving into the Vietnamese market. But she's actually traveled all over and we're going to talk a lot about that. And now she has an educational foundation as well that's helping disadvantaged children in Vietnam which is obviously an unbelievable thing to do. So my guest today is Yang Sin Pham, and thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You were born in Indonesia, but your parents were Vietnamese, is that right? Yes. My parents moved to uh, uh, Indonesia a long time ago for work, and that's it, and that's how they met, that's how I was born. Um, my mom originally from Mekong, and she already has two children before my dad. And my dad, it just people, you know, call it he's a playboy from a northern family, that well educated family. But then she he fell in love with my mom, so that's, that's a, a bit dramatic <laughs> in my family. <laughs> and so, what was the fallout from that? Of course, that the family from my dad's side didn't. Uh, didn't really encourage them to to like move together but then I think my dad was really cool he stood up for my mom and yeah I think it's beautiful uh love story and he's a great 
like model home for me. What was it like being five years old and moving to Saigon? Well, it's was a tough time for me, you know, but I had fun, a lot of fun in in the in Indonesia and then moved back to Vietnam that I had no friends. And because that we mentioned that uh, there's there's a trauma of my uh, parents' love story. So it caused me also a lot of troubles in my family because like they didn't really accept me and my mom. Yes. But it, over time, my mom proved that she's a wonderful woman. So everyone loves her now. Tell me a bit more about that because we've talked a lot. I've talked with Vietnamese people on this show and we've talked about family and we've talked about Vietnamese culture. Can you explain a bit more about that? Like what did the family do to, to not accept you? Like how did that make you feel? How did that make your mom feel? Um, <laughs> you've been here in Vietnam and in the North, right? I'm sure that you know the culture. I've been in the North very, very briefly, but you're actually three out of the four guests so far on this season have okay. been from the North originally. And it's something we've talked about, about the kind of culture in the North as being quite different to the South. Yes. So my background, um, my family's background, actually, that um, my grandparents, you know, they spoke uh, and wrote in and read in French and English even before they did it in Vietnamese. So well-educated family. Um, and my mom, totally opposite. She didn't really have like proper education. And also because she only married once and with two kids. So that's what made my, my parents' love story. It was really hard to be accepted in a family. I imagine, and from conversations I've had with Vietnamese friends, that situation would still be massively difficult and almost taboo, like today in 2019. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, what, 20, 30, 20 odd years ago that this happened? Yeah, 30 so, years ago. 30 years ago. So I can't imagine the difficulty 30 years ago to fit in with society. Is, is that, was that part of the problem? Yes. I, rem- I grew up remembering my mom crying a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, but just just happened. This is how it works. That is how it is today. So that's what I really that's what that's something that I don't really like about Vietnamese culture. I love it or not, but it's you know, it's always like side effect. <laughs> yeah. So uh took us years and years, um, you know, to plan in with the family culture. And uh, yeah, it is for me, five years old that my parents usually, like, they were off to work, so I had to stay with my dad's family back then, and they didn't like me, you know? It's, but right now, I think I'm, I'm, I'm positive about it. Um, That's so sad, though. Yes, I know. And, and as a child, you could feel that. Uh, totally, totally. I think that, you know, kids usually, they're really smart. If you're nice to them, they know it immediately, right away. But if you're bad to them, hmm. And you can sense that, that they were being bad to you? For sure, for sure. Wow. I, I see uh, the distance between me and my family a lot is a big gap. And what was it you could see? Like, they would just give more love and attention to your brother my and cousins, sister? Yeah, my cousins. Um, were you, like, the last to eat and things like that? Kind of. Right. And then, but you know what? Is um, My mom always encouraged me to, like, be generous, to be nice, to be kind to everyone, no matter how how bad they treated me and my mom. Um, she's a wonderful woman. Uh, so that's why that she told me that I need to get 
best education, be confident, be independent, be whatever I want to be, but be confident, independent. I remember in my entire life. So that's what make me who I am today. I'm so grateful. Fantastic. Yeah. And what was the, what do you feel was the turning point then with your with your dad's family? Yes. So um, we had to move to uh, LA in 2000, early 2014. So and then back then, before that, um, they actually put my parents divorce. They put a lot of pressure on my both my parents uh, to divorce. So the process of me and my dad go to LA is much faster. I I didn't know how that happened, but uh, yeah, it did. And then, uh, I when I, when we moved to LA, then I I told you that I felt completely lost in LA. I didn't feel belong to the country or the city. So I stayed there for almost a year, traveling, working, and then I decided to move back to Vietnam. And then that was a turning point. So and my family had to look at the situation again and they somehow they understand that is no longer um my problem uh i have my i should have my own life so then uh they encourage my they interfere a lot to my parents life so they offer they offer i i hate the word but they offer my mom to think about to reconsider to move to LA with my dad but you know my mom is very typical Vietnamese woman she just accepted she didn't care she didn't think much uh, about what happened before that that's how bad so did they get divorced they they got divorced um but just legally yes legally and then um, my dad came back to Vietnam because that I moved back to Vietnam and he was living alone in LA not alone alone with the whole big family but you know, because I'm the only child to my dad. Mm. So then I talked to my dad. So what do you think? I'm not going to leave with you. I'm sorry, but I have my life here. Uh, so then, yeah, I think that um, he, he put a lot of thoughts. That. So he decided to move to back to Vietnam, talk to my mom, and then they got married again. Aww. And then both of them now living in LA and I'm going to see them in two weeks. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, I had to fight a lot for my own freedom. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy here in, in Vietnam. So tell me what was it like then growing up in Saigon? Because um, I, I can only imagine it was a very different place to what it is now. Um, it's, you know, Saigon is like crazy, crazy place. It's nothing like any city that I have ever been to. It's so fast, moving so fast. And somehow that I, maybe because of the industry that I'm working in, that I feel like if you skip a week or two, uh, people don't see you and you will be left behind. Yes. You know, working in, it, in this industry, F&B, especially like alcohol, that you need to be seen in order to do business. People must know you. So it's all about relationship. It's a good thing because I am good at, you know, managing relationship with my customers. But at the same time, I, I think that there's is no like work-life balance. So it's, it's a challenge. I love challenge. But I always feel like I need to get away from Saigon once in a while, mm. like once or two months. Uh, I think that's a common thing. I know especially for expats, it's interesting to hear from 
I mean, I guess you're almost an expat. You weren't born <laughs> here, right? But, you know, um, I think it's a common thing that uh, people want to get out of the city. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so busy. It's so crazy. I've been talking about friends about this lately, you know, like karaoke on the street, <laughs> food stalls going by my window at two in the morning shouting bups out, eh? um, <laughs> traffic at all times of the day and night. And it's, it's confronting and it's overwhelming to the senses. And it, and it is interesting to hear because it's not just like whiny expats. I'm like, yes, oh, this city's yes. too crazy. Like, I know that local people feel the same as well, right? Yeah. I think that's what I miss when I'm away. So I need, I just need to ha- uh, like remind myself that it's Saigon. So you have to get used to it. So, but it's funny because you are Saigonese, you're Vietnamese, but you still have to like get you or adapt to that environment you know um sometimes i think it's so familiar i love it so much but sometimes i feel so strange i don't feel like i belong to the city yeah so you grew up here you you did your university here uh actually that i went to one vietnamese uh university and the other one is a singaporean uh yeah university okay what was the difference like between those two i mean um Singaporean university gave me a different angle, different uh, vision of what I want to do in life. I really enjoy it, especially the lecture. That's, that's how that I met the very first uh, foreign friends and uh, foreign lecturers. Um, yes, yeah, so, so that's why that I think it's changed me a lot, um, you know, in terms of like mindset and perspective in life. So I see things differently. So that's why at the same time, I, since then, I don't feel like I'm original Vietnamese, Saigonese, because what I see or what I like is usually is not what the majority Vietnamese people are going to like or, you know, interested into. That's a big difference. And do you ever feel like an outsider? Do, do you feel Vietnamese and then at other times do you feel like I'm an outsider? Cause, yes. Yeah. Um. As I mentioned earlier, that, you know, whenever I'm with uh, expat friends, that they see me just normal people, just like them. But when I'm with my Vietnamese, they think that I'm weird, you know, this feeling that I'm, for example, when I'm at a group of girlfriends, we usually talk about like family, marriage, and how to take care of your, your baby. That's none of them are my interests. So I'm, I care more about the career path that how I'm going to grow in uh, like as a person or in professional life and how I can give back to the society. That's, that's why, that's the reason why that I came back to Vietnam. That's why I show Vietnam over and over again. Yeah. So do you consider yourself VQ? No, I don't. I'm Vietnamese. I'm Saigonese. Yes. And what makes you identify with that? Um... Well, when you say Viet Kiel, meaning that there's a, there's a big gap in your life that you are not connected to uh, the country. That's not true. This, at least it, I'm, I'm living uh, here and there quite a lot, but I always feel connected to, to this country and the people. And that's how my foundation uh, was born. That's, that's where I put my heart into. Awesome. Well, the reason I ask is, and I talked about this on a previous episode, I read this was many, just not long after I arrived in Vietnam, that VQs can kind of be um, looked upon 
in a different way because Vietnamese people think the VQs are better than them. Mm. I'm not saying that's reality, but that's the perception. So even though you don't think of yourself as VQ, the fact that you have been educated overseas, you were born in another country, have you felt that, that people kind of look at you in a different way? Uh, yes. Uh, they definitely, obviously, that see me as somebody like outside, you know, that I don't like the feeling. But it doesn't really matter how, that I learned over years that it's not important how people look at you, but how you identify yourself. And it took me years and years to understand it accept who I am. I'm a bit of uh, 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 in a Western culture and I have my very, very Vietnamese culture in me. So I'm proud of it. Cool. Give, give me an example. What's one thing that you identify as Western and one thing you identify as Vietnamese relating to yourself? Yeah. Okay. It's a really funny thing that I don't use chopsticks very well. What? I know. And I don't eat chili at all. Zero. I think I have allergy with uh, chili and anything spicy. Okay, that's definitely Western then. You sound like an English person. <laughs> My dad gave me a fork and knife when I was growing, when I was so little. And yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. People, people usually ask me that I don't have a, a license, you know. I cannot drive very well. So <laughs> You must get such funny looks when you go into a place and you ask for a knife and fork. Yes, yes. And, you know, one time me and another... English guy that we went to um, a Vietnamese restaurant and he actually asked for uh, um, chopstick and asked for fork. And he, people look at me, are you sure that you're Vietnamese? Excuse me? Okay. <laughs> this happened to me recently though. I sat down somewhere just near here in Phu Nhan and uh, the woman, she was so lovely and so nice. I was about to eat my soup and she came over with like a spoon and uh, a fork, I think, as well, as the chopsticks in my hand. I was like, no, it's okay, I've got this, you know? You know, like, Vietnamese people usually uh, eating rice out of the bowl, and they use chopstick, and I have to use a spoon. I'm, I'm not good at that. That's my way. I'm not good at eating yes. rice. Yes. But we were having food last week on the street as well, and there was this group of kind of older Vietnamese guys next to us all drinking beer and eating. And uh, he seemed really impressed with me at first that I was using chopsticks. He was kind of, like, pointing, and he's giving me the thumbs up. But then he started making fun of me because I was holding my chopstick so low down. Mm -hmm. And I forgot that's a thing. Do you know this? That apparently you can tell how long a Westerner has lived yeah, in yeah. Vietnam yes. by how low they hold the yes. chopsticks. And I was <laughs> holding mine like right at the bottom so I could pick it up. And he was pointing at me like, ah, you're holding it down the bottom. And I was like, all right. And I had to put my hands up. I can do it the other way, but it is easier. So then after university, um, what did you do after that? Well, my first job was... Uh... I was working as a butler in Six Senses, Ninh Bay back then in 2011. It was one of very few, like, super, like, deluxe resorts in Vietnam. Yeah, Six Senses is, like, the pinnacle of luxury, right, almost? Yes, it was in, uh, in an island. Actually, it's not an island, it's a peninsula. So one of, uh, so my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law both got to stay at the Six Senses a couple of years ago. Okay. And she got an email before they went there asking what type of pillow did she want. Yes. And they had about 14 different types of pillow that you could choose from, like hypoallergenic, soft, medium, lemon. I don't know. I can't, I can't even remember. She showed me the email before. Yes. That's how luxurious it is, right? Yes, and even you can pick your pillow mist, you know, the thing that you put on your pillow so it makes you sleep better stuff, and you can show your butler. You can choose your butler. Yes. 
to if you've had someone you've used before. And yeah, you can go to, you know, TripAdvisor and you read some comments. Right. And I got a request uh, of like two gay couple, uh, a, a gay couple from, from UK, as I remember. They requested me even before uh, they met me. So what was that like then at Six Senses? That, that must have been an interesting experience. Yes. So it was my first time uh, living away from my parents. You know, I'm very typical uh, Asian or Vietnamese uh, kid uh, growing up in a big city. And now that I had to move to Nha Trang, a very small rural city that I also it was in living in the island. So meaning that I stay in the island uh, uh, three, three weeks in one time. And there's no way that you can go to the mainland, but the speedboat or like the wooden boat, the big boat for the staff. So yeah, it's totally different. N- no entertainment, nothing. The only thing you can get is uh, some tiger beer, ba-ba-ba beer at a host bar. You know, mm. That's it. <laughs> So did you tend to any celebrities? A lot, actually. Go on. You know, Name drop. Um, uh, most of them Vietnamese uh, celebrities. But there's one time that we met um, the guy from uh, F1, Mike, Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah, That's yeah. kind of like, so we keep it very like low profile for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we do have Vietnamese listeners. So tell us that name drop the Vietnamese celebrities. Uh, most, most of the models. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Vietnamese uh, celebrities. Like um, Ha Anh. Like a lot of like others and actors. But I don't know. But, don't know oh, the names. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the names. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that recently I was at a kind of opening night. And I think there might have been a couple of celebrities there. But I, I, I don't know any of them. So I wonder like how the, a celebrity acts when someone is like, I have no idea who you are. I wonder yes, if they're yes, kind of like, yes. oh, he doesn't know who I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what that I mean? happened to me. That happened to yeah. me a lot. But I know some like uh, Kim, Bao, Kim Bao, some yeah, very famous uh, actor, but I'm not a big fan. Well, did they ever kind of act like that? Like what? You don't a know lot, who I am? A lot, a lot. Really? But some is really nice, polite and kind. They treat us really well. And even, you know, you don't earn a lot from like, sal- uh, like base salary basis. But you will get a lot from tips, you know, that, you know, back then when I was only 23, no, I'm sorry, 21 after university. And then I couldn't earn from 1000 US dollars to 1.5. That was a big thing. It just give you that at the end of the trip. Yes. Some people just stay for three or two nights, but at the end of the trip, they give you like 100 or 200 dollars. Yes. Makes up for it, right? <laughs> What's the craziest thing that happened to you then at the Six Senses? <laughs> well, you know, because they're really high profile and professional people, so I don't have a. Uh, I I think that I don't have a lot of like crazy requests. But at one time that I remember, they were my guests, so they stay in their uh, villa because there's no room as a villa. So I rarely see them leaving the villa. Uh, but whenever we come to visit them you know you you have to go to see your, your guests your, um, to say hello um, ask if they need anything so there's so many times that uh, not only me but the other uh, resort staff they went to their room and every single time you will see them naked they don't care and even especially open the door like that? yes and especially the the lady she was lying in the sunbed and uh, the 
<laughs> room service came in and he was so shy. And was just like standing uh, at the door. And she was just like, come in, don't worry, come here. And she 100% naked. And her partner was just like standing next to her and he didn't care. He wasn't naked. He like almost like 80%. He just had a little like bikini. <laughs> it almost like a, like girl's bikini. Or the, yeah, almost like that. At the bottom, you know. Oh, it's so embarrassing. But yeah. And what did you do when you when you went up and they were like that? I, I was shocked. Just making intense eye contact. I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm looking <laughs> at your eyes. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a girl. So I'm not attracted to girls. So I'm like, <laughs> but I think I, I found so weird. So strange. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that it must be really cold in the country. So when I move here, like, they stay for like two weeks. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I think that I just like one or two times that I saw them with like full clothes. Did know? they come to dinner or were they just always eating in the room? Like um, most, of the time, most of the time in the villa. But, you know, even when they went to the restaurants with the less clothes that you, you could expect. <laughs> uh, well, let's move on then from the six senses. So what, where did you go after the six senses then? That was uh, your first job out of university. That's a good job. Yes, it was really fun. And I met a lot of friends. I know how life was outside of Saigon. I, I was, I'm, I think I'm still like really a city girl. That's how like people put the label on me. Um, and then I started working for GHO, you know, the biggest uh, liquor company. Um, yeah, and my life changed a lot since then. So where then did you work with Diageo that you came back to Saigon? Yes, it was uh, in the middle of 2012, after, after six census. Um, well, you know that I, um, I went back to Saigon because I found that there was no room for me to develop my, uh, my knowledge, my skill set. So, and it was quite boring for me after a while, you know, living in the island. And um, I moved back to uh, Saigon, living with my dad. And then I, it was really boring. I didn't, I didn't think about like staying in Saigon for long. Uh, I was uh, searching for more other F&B jobs in other cities like Da Nang and Hoi An. But then uh, there's a friend that he was my uh, colleague when I was an intern in Park Hyatt, Saigon. He offered, he was working as a brand ambassador for Diageo. Um, and he was like, yeah, do, do you want to work, uh, work for a liquor company? I was like, liquor? I don't drink a lot. Is it a problem? And he was like, no, you don't have, you don't have to drink. Next time, when somebody offers you a job working in a beer or liquor companies and they say that you don't have to drink, don't trust them. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I feel like that's something that's like not true. Like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, you don't need to drink a lot. But yeah, no, you do. No. You said at the beginning, like you know, part of your job is you have to be out there meeting people, things yes. like that. And yes. As I mentioned, you know, Misha Smith was recommended you for for this show, and uh, Misha's a good friend. And you see him out. He is the face of Pasteur, you know, online and in person. He's out there promoting it, drinking it, <laughs> you know. And I joked with him. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or after the podcast. And I was like, you do do work, right? And he's like, yeah, of course. I was like, I'm not going to post a picture of myself doing a spreadsheet, you know, because he posts a picture of himself having a beer, yes. you know. And I was like, no, I want, like, next week, I want you to post a picture of you doing a spreadsheet, even if it's got a beer in it. I want to see that you do some work. He never did it, though. So Misha, 
if you're listening, I want to see that spreadsheet picture. <laughs> well, actually, that uh, uh, to be fair, I have to say that people working in F&B, they have to sacrifice or they give up a lot on their personal life. You know, um, you don't have like normal daily routine uh, going to work from 9 to 5 or 9 to 6. Uh, I do go to work around nine. Uh, <laughs> you just contradicted yourself there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but not only that, you know, I start my day usually uh, at nine or 10, but I always end up going home at midnight, like 12, 1 a.m. Just like yesterday, I went home at two o'clock. I think it must, I, I, I don't know this because I don't work in the industry, but I feel like your social life and your your business life must kind of blend, right? Yes. Because you kind of lose, lose your social life would, in, would involve going out to bars and drinking anyway. And then if that's your job, then they're just going <laughs> to kind of converge together, right? Yes. Um, it's funny that um, when, I, when I started working for, you know, this industry that the I got a lot of like comments from my friends that I don't see you anymore. I'm like, you know, if you want to see me, just go to a bar. I'm always there. I'm like, you have to come hell? to me. Yes, yeah. yes. So that's that's a tough part, you know. That, um, but I think that I prefer it that way. That's a part of me, and that's a part of uh, Saigon life. And also, I work hard from Monday to Friday, and then I'm fully relaxed on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because you just said, you know, it's not a normal job. You don't work Monday to Friday, <laughs> nine to five. But I started at nine and then I work on Monday to Friday. <laughs> I know, it's funny. Uh, Nobody going to believe you. So what, what attracted you towards the food and beverage industry? Why do you like that? Um, I think because uh, my nature is like, uh, half is very extrovert. And the other side is really introvert. So I stay in the office like three to four hours. I try to. And the other time that I'm going out, seeing my customers, talking to people, not only business, but also at the personal level. That's how that I remain or like I manage uh, my, my relationship. So I think that's what, what I'm good at. And also it's my job to make people drink. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite drink? Uh, I do love whiskey. I... I know that I'm working for a beer company now, but if I had a choice that I could go for a single malt whiskey. Okay, now, so I'm from Scotland. I know. What? Tell me about what's your favorite single malt my whiskey. My top of my uh, whiskey is Talisker. I'm not a big fan of Talisker because it's like a, a peaty one, right? It's, it's, like, it's a smoky. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the smoky one. Okay, I love all whiskeys from Iceland. Yeah, yeah, see, I'm not, I'm not a fan of okay. Isla whiskeys. Is the other one? That's the ones I don't like. Well, but, but everyone's different, right? Like, yes, yes. Uh, Talisker or Lagavulin. Yeah, see, that's the ones I'm a shy away from. Okay, those tell ones. me. But everyone's different, right? Like I, I, I found it really interesting. Last one of the times I was back home recently, we we went on a big whiskey tour. All me and my family and friends. We went to like five different distilleries. And uh, what's really interesting is whiskey is a really personal thing. One of the guys on the tour who was giving us a tour of the distillery was saying, you know, everyone goes on about, oh, the 18-year-old of this and that. And he's like, it means nothing. It's what you like. He's like, if you get a blended whiskey and you have an 18-year-old single malt whiskey and you don't like it, but the other one's like $3,000 a bottle because it's an 18-year-old. He's like, that's fine. He's like, people just buy that for the status almost. The taste True. is completely up to what you like. Yeah, I agree. Some, for, for example, I think that a blended whiskey 
is a bit uh not just a bit a lot under underrated mm. uh but my, personally i think i do love the book black uh from johnny walker I'm think Smoke I've tried strong, that. definitely. Smoky, yes, yeah. yes. I'm a big fan of smoky whiskey. But I think you know, um, as a girl, Vietnamese girl, you know, back back into like uh, 10, 15 years ago, that I already started love alcohol stuff. I think that I will blame my dad, or like people will blame my dad for that because when I was growing up, uh, you know, when I was 14, instead of like taking me to bookstore or you know barbie shop, my dad took me to uh now you call social pop you know irish bar oh man that my my mom was really mad at him he took me to wine shop and he he made me like it's this kind of like vietnamese uh, 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 uh cocktail but he made um lamb juice and rum what was it? oh lamb juice and rum it's, oh that sounds oh good. man it's lovely i like it a lot but i was only 14 and he took me <laughs> <laughs> he took me to discotheque and showing me how good he was at dancing <laughs> with other ladies. Awesome. With other ladies, <laughs> my mom was at home. <laughs> well, at least you're there, so you, he's not going to do anything wrong yeah, if you're there. Oh, yes, I hope not. Yes. Anyways, you know you're going to go tell mum, right? Yes. Well, that's good. He's not reinforcing gender stereotype by giving you a Barbie doll and he's getting you into whiskey and you know. I think that I got uh, influence from my dad a lot, so I'm just not. I always tell people that I'm just another like copy of him yeah, yeah. that uh, 90, 99% uh, so because a bit like dominance you know that my mom didn't really interfere in like how my dad uh, educates me uh, so I was growing up as almost a tomboy and my dad literally thought I was a lesbian but he didn't care he, didn't care. he was so cool with that I think he, he was happy with that actually sounds like a good man my best friend, my oh. best drinking mate. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have a drink with your dad yeah. now. Well, my favorite, not maybe not my favorite, but yeah, I enjoy it, is Jameson's. Okay. Which yeah. again, it kind of has a cheap reputation almost because it is, you know, it's so ubiquitous. You can find it everywhere. But my wife and I, we went to Ireland a couple of years ago and we did a tour of the Jameson's. Um, the, the, what, they didn't actually make the Jameson's there, but it was like the Jameson's factory. And again, just so interesting that the skill and the love and the care that goes into making this whiskey, which you just think is like, you know, it's just Jameson's and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's so much um, art goes into making it what it is. And that I always remember this and it's kind of changed the way I would drink whiskey. The guy was like, don't shoot, don't shoot a whiskey. He's like, it, it makes my blood boil when you see like people like, yeah, let's have a shot of whiskey. <laughs> because like even a, a blended one like Jameson's, takes so long like it's 12 years old 18 years yes. process to yes. make this blended whiskey and then you just knock it back in a second so ever since then not that i ever really used to shoot whiskey but i if someone was to give me a whiskey and be like yeah let's do shots i'd be like no 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 we're gonna sip this we're gonna enjoy it taste it and jameson's does taste really good like it's a really smooth i agree, I agree. you know that if you know how people make whiskey or any type of uh, drinks that you will appreciate it much more it's all about education yeah and that's what we like off here in saigon yeah well i think all over probably people aren't yeah don't realize the love and the care that goes into yeah. it we all just want to get drunk right <laughs> <laughs> that's the end goal right yeah I, it just reminds me of uh, the, uh, the period in 2012 that we started you know back then about like seven years ago eight years ago people had no idea of like what is uh, a good cocktail? 
and that how we DHO people educated this market Vietnamese market uh, about cocktail. Well, I was going to say, yeah, tell me, how do you think the Vietnamese drinking culture has changed? Because Vietnam is one of the largest consumers of beer in the world, and we know that. 90% yeah, uh, I mean, alcohol uh, consuming is beer. Is beer, yeah. yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, I remember I lived in D4, and I was going to the gym, and it's like 10 in the morning, and there's a bunch <laughs> of guys I was sitting outside. Like, I, I did to double take. I was like, wait, the table is like full of beers and things 10 like that. 10 a.m.? Yeah, about 10, 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't see that too often, to be to be honest. But that uh, I did see it, and Vietnam is big consumers of beer. But cocktails, like, I mean, Vietnam alone, sorry, Saigon alone, cocktail bars have just exploded. Like, they used to not really. I've been here just over three years. There was maybe a couple when I got here, but now, like, so many and so many good ones, right? They open one every month, I mm. would say. But then one closes every two months as well, <laughs> yes. right? Well, actually, you know, um, so now cocktail is really something fancy. Uh, but, you know, cocktail is, I think is, it shouldn't be seen that way. Um, and also because why I say that, because you don't see a lot of like good cocktail bars in Saigon with good quality, but affordable. Mm. But some, some cocktail bar, I think the concept is really nice. The atmosphere is really nice. And excellent uh service but the cocktail is not that good to charge that yeah much. i'm not going to say names but there's a couple of cocktail bars i've been to where the, they were ridiculously expensive I'll tell you the name after <laughs> and I, I was like this is rubbish this is a terrible drink like didn't taste of anything mm. i was like this is so pretentious you're charging like 250 for a cocktail and it's terrible but then my favorite new place have you been to the street cocktail on high Chung? it's new right yeah so it's street cocktails Whoa. It's so Vietnamese. Where is it? So you know where the the, the fabric market is on Hai Bat Chung? Okay. So you know where the big pink church is? I do. So just up from that, once all the fabric stores close, they bring out the plastic, classic little plastic Vietnamese stools. Whoa. Set up um, like a cocktail bar. And it's like 70,000, a cocktail. They are amazing. Good. They come with a sugar cane stick in it. We went last week. Uh, well, I've been a couple of times recently and just looked around, everyone's just like gnawing on the sugar cane. <laughs> but the cocktails, yeah, the cocktails are unbelievable. About 80,000, they got tequila-based, whiskey-based, everything. But the only problem is, right, in this classic Vietnam, great idea, let's set up a cocktail bar on the street. Everyone sits on the street having cocktails. No toilets. <laughs> uh, that's not a good thing. So after about one <laughs> drink, everyone's like, so where's the bathroom? jazz hands like no no bathroom <laughs> so if you're a guy that's not too bad because it's vietnam and you can yes. piss wherever you want which is not the best thing but a guy can go around and find a bush for the girls it's like that makes me uh surprised you know that, that sometimes that i feel so surprised at how easy it is uh for everyone to start their own business it's a great <laughs> thing about vietnam it's very entrepreneurial and you can do that i remember when i first came here on vacation like which was over four years ago and my brother-in-law lee was taking us around hanoi and he's like yeah i mean look this guy's just got a bucket of beers on the street a couple of stools he's selling beer on the street and i was like whoa that's really you know? vietnam right yeah yeah so vietnam but also so vietnam at the same time that there's no toilets you know what i mean like, <laughs> we're gonna sell alcohol it's gonna make you want to piss but you can't go anywhere like so what do you do and this is why guys pee all over the place in in saigon right oops yeah uh yeah, that's one of the nastier parts of Saigon, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's your favorite cocktail? My favorite cocktail is a smoky martini made with uh, La Foritaine. It's fantastic. So what's your favorite cocktail bar then? 
well, it's not easy, you know. Uh, it's a tough question. But I think that I would always choose uh, the alley. You know, the owner of the alley is a friend of mine, also my colleague um, from Diageo. Um, he has another bar named the ATM. Oh, the ATM, that's yes. cool. Yes. I feel like that doesn't come up on many people's radar. Like, I never see it advertised on Facebook. Never. I never, never hear it mentioned, but I've been um, before. But for anyone, if you want a cool date night, you want to impress somebody or you want to go out with a partner, go to the ATM. It's right next to Rehab Station and it, it literally looks like an ATM, right? Yes. People got confused that a lot. Yeah, we went there to go to the place and my <laughs> wife is the one that had found out about it and we walked up and I was like, where is it? And because the door's like hidden and it looks like an ATM and that's an amazing bar. That's where you walk in and you're like, I can't believe I'm in Saigon. It's just like another like bar in the, in the central of Europe. Yeah. And I love it so much. This is, the, and this is what I think is um, what's changing so fast about Saigon and what's the misconception. And we've talked about this before. I think, you know, people think of Saigon as almost like maybe a third world country or think of it as, you know, destitute. And obviously there is poverty here and it's massively unequal, but it is modernizing very quickly and it is becoming, you know, more you think of like Bangkok or Hong Kong, mm-hmm. things like that. Like there's all these really nice places to go now that weren't even here, you know, three, four, five, six, ten years ago. But now it's like coming um, a bit of a destination for cocktail bars and food yes. and things like that. Sky bar. Sky bar. Yes. Everyone has a rooftop. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I always bring people to Air 360 when they come to visit. Okay. Why? Why are you making that face? <laughs> Well, it's just not really my type, but I think it's really nice for some of people. It's good for sunset. Well, my favorite spot for sunset is M Gallery. So so love is what people call it. Yeah, I think yeah, I've been on the top of M Gallery Hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Cafe de Art. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. the one. So then you you said to me earlier. So after Diageo, then you went to work for um, ABI, which does Budweiser and. What? Corona, and Corona, Stella, Whole Garden, Lefe, Bex. That's a lot. Yeah, I always find it interesting when you start to learn more about the food and beverage industry. It's like lifting back the curtain and seeing, you think of all these different brands of beer, but yes. they're all different and they're all unique. And then you're like, oh, they're all owned by one company. Like Diageo owns like everything, right? Yes. Like, uh, they have a huge uh, range of uh, liquors, Diageo, and same with ABI. I think that I have now more than 200 brands all over the world. They just go around, you know, buying yeah. brands. Yeah. It's like the media, you think it's all different and then it's all owned by like the same two or three companies. So, so you went to work for um, ABI, then PepsiCo. Centauri PepsiCo. Centauri. It's a joint venture. Centauri, like Centauri, Centauri whiskey? Cent- yes, yes. <laughs> but we don't do uh, liquor in Vietnam, only tea, oh, okay. soft drinks and tea. And then you mentioned you started your own company. Yes, I left. Uh, Century PepsiCo in uh, March 2018, I started having my own business. I had a clothing line. I had a tea house. It's funny because I was working for all liquor and beers. And now that I had a tea house, a library and tea house. Yes. and Went, then, went in a different direction. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> um, and then by the end of the year, 2018, I stopped completely working. I started traveling the world. And yeah, so you mentioned to me uh, before we recorded, uh, you kind of felt a bit burnt out. Yes, I did feel it. 
Yeah, I know. And I think everyone gets to that stage. You said you knew you're having like almost like a quarter life crisis. Um, yes, I don't know. I don't know if everyone, I just wondering if I hope that everyone has it because that I don't feel there's like something that only me facing. Oh, no, I can definitely relate. Yeah, I'm sure most people can relate. But you, you know, as a Vietnamese uh, uh, person, you, we don't have a culture of sharing or talking about like the deepest uh, fear. Uh, So I didn't talk, I didn't reach out to my family or my friends uh, to talk more about it. It's quite like, uh, you know, you have a mental health problem. And then, um, yes, I was, I'm still, I was living in Vietnam alone in Saigon alone. Uh, I broke up. (laughs) Uh, My business was so much potential, but I felt like I couldn't carry it uh, any longer. I felt so exhausted, completely lonely. I didn't know. I think that I lost my vision. Everything I imagined. Uh, didn't really work out the way that I want. Well, I wanted it to be, so I stopped. I I stopped everything. So uh, to travel to Europe, to Australia, to Sri Lanka, and then for like seven months, back Saigon. So was that like your eat, pray, love year? Um. Yes, I think that I can relate it to that a lot. You know, uh, I went to Bali alone for eight days. Uh, stay in one villa. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't make friends with anyone. Um, I and I finished the book within like two or three days. And you read the book as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> I didn't realize when I asked that question. Like it literally was an e pray yes, love moment. Yes. You went to Bali, lived alone, read the book. I brought pray love. I brought um the monk who saw his fairy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but how was that after that then? Um. I got a bit slightly better, but it wasn't enough. But I, I kept traveling, traveling, seeing people. I remember the world one time when I was in Paris alone um, in early January, uh, really cold alone. I, I was working along Sin River and I, I was crying. You know that you are in the middle of Fly City in Europe, but you don't have somebody to share with, not because that you don't have anyone. But somebody that who really understands you and accepts you, accepts your nature, I think that I, I didn't have it. So it was, it was really interesting and really, uh, I think it, it was a good experience for me. Yeah, so it's interesting you say this, right? So um, first of all, I think you're not alone at all in going through that. And it's an unfortunate thing in Vietnam. But I think in most cultures, not everyone speaks up enough about if they're having mental health issues. So I know here it can be even more difficult, but I think it's probably the same in most countries and maybe people are getting better at opening up more. But um, so I I just did a a gig last week um, when I talked about my time. I used to live in New York for a short time. And now when I talk about my time in New York, I'm so effusive. I have, to have all these stories and it sounds so fun and it sounds so amazing and cool and different and blah, blah, blah. It was the most horrible time of my life. Like living through it was like the lowest ebb of my entire short life. Like I was eating onion and lettuce sandwiches because I had no money. A girl broke up with me that I'd been in a relationship with a long time. I couldn't get a job. Couldn't make friends. Yeah. Like horrible, horrible time living through it day to day. But that was like 12 odd years ago. And now when I talk about it, I talk about it like it was the best time of my life. I agree. Totally agree. Yeah, looking back, I'm like, oh my God, if I didn't go through that period, I wouldn't be here where I am today, completely 
happily, perfectly happy. So, yeah, yeah, it's so worth it. Anyone who's listening, going through that, it's a, it's a normal thing. And as well, I had a job in Australia I did for about four years. And after that, I was completely burnt out. Like, my wife can tell you, I was burnt out. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to do anything. As you can tell from, I'm doing a podcast, I do comedy. I'm quite an outgoing person. But at this point, I did, like, a temp job just doing data entry because I was like, that's all I wanted to do. Just didn't want to do anything. But, you know, then you, you get better things change you know so i mean everyone has these points in their life right so um so what what changed then for you traveling because i think that's a common thing as well right everyone has this kind of breakdown or has this tough time and the solution for a lot of people is i'm gonna go traveling right and and i think it's a good thing so how did that help you um i think the turning point for me it was when i went to sri lanka it was a very uh, remarkable uh, events happening in my life by the end of the trip. So uh, Sri Lanka was my last destination. Um, I went there alone again. So I joined um, Isaac. You know Isaac, right? Isaac group. Is, um, I'll explain later, but um, I got introduced to like some Sri Lankan uh, young people. So they helped me. They helped me to show me around and explain me things, the culture, and even that they brought me home. Uh, you know, to uh, have dinner with the whole family. They invited me to stay at their home, treat me like one of their family members. But I, I, I think because I, I've been living alone for so long that I always had a distance with my family. I didn't have that. I don't have family dinners. I don't have family lunch at all. It's been so long. So now that I have it, so I felt overwhelmed. I felt so, like, loved and happy. And also, by that time, um, in April, if you remember, there was a bombing attack happening across the country in Sri Lanka. I was completely alone. My friend was not with me. You were there during that? Yes. Only two or three days after I landed. Yes. So I, I was traveling down from Colombo. Uh, and then one, one morning that I was, uh, I was on a bus to the city. And my friend texted me that, where are you? I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm on a bus. So what's what's happening? Stay where you are. There's a bombing happening right here in the city. And my friend almost got killed. And I didn't know what to do. I was so alone. It was terrifying. And, you know, there was a curfew that you cannot leave the house after 6 p.m. Um, there was no restaurant, no store, nothing open after that. Um, and I didn't know. So everything was shut, shut down. Um, no tour so i book a few trips but then eventually they have they have to cancel it um so i didn't know what to do i was alone um, nobody i didn't dare to tell my parents because i don't want them to worry about it so it was it was about like three or four days like that staying in the hotel doing nothing so i started thinking about the purpose of life the thing that i lost so because of that event, so I started to think about my, my life and how I wanted to go in the next 10, five, five or 10 years. So, you know, I spent, because you spend so much time alone that you have to face your problem, you cannot run away from it anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it starts from that. And also because of the relationship that I see, I think that I lost um, faith and trust in people here. And I think that 
I don't like the people here, that I don't like Vietnamese people, I don't like my country anymore because of some failure in, in business and relationship. But when I was in Sri Lanka, I was like, no, not because of some very small events happening in your life that you will be, you should be negative about life. So, and also because, you know, you, you feel like you're so close to death and only at that point that that's you you want to live so much you want to see your parents your friends again you want to do so much thing in life so yeah i think that I, that changed my life and also that i gave up uh, on meat like i don't eat meat anymore so there's so many things it was a chaos you know so many things happened to me in like very very short time like three four days so, remarkable events. Yeah, I mean, that would be life-changing without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. And so, how did, how did you then get out of Sri Lanka? Like, how, when did it start? When did things start to calm down? You know, four days in the hotel room. Yeah. What happened after that? Um, so, I was so scared. I thought about I should book a ticket to go back to Vietnam immediately. But then, a friend of mine told me that... Uh, I should stay in the country a bit more for things uh, to come down. But you know, the next day that I was thinking about like to reschedule my flight, and then they found a lot of bombs around the airport. Oh man, <laughs> you don't know how it felt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh man, what, what do I do here? I cannot go see my friends. I cannot go home. I don't know if I can see my parents again. You know, not that too much, not too extra, but that's a feeling. Uh, so I was like, no, well, it is what it is. You, if you die, you die. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can change. So I started traveling again after that. After three, four days in in the hotel, so I go up north um, to a um, highland uh, cities, really small, and everything was still peaceful, lovely, uh, very nice climate. So I met a lot of like friends, like just like me, like solo travelers, expat people. So things got better from then. Oh, cool. And with, what countries did you go to after that? Uh, I went back to uh, Vietnam. So oh, that was your last stop? Yes. And I started to uh, look for a new apartments uh, in D2, where I am living now. Um, started my life again. You mentioned earlier, so you, you've traveled all over. Uh, you lived in the States for a while because you've got family there. You were talking to me before we started recording. What made you choose then Saigon? We talked about the craziness of Saigon. Why did you choose to make this your home? Um, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. It's, it's a feeling. You, you know, only you, your heart tells you where you feel home most or you, where you feel connected to. So my heart chose Saigon. I think that I owe Saigon something. So that's the reason why that I just chew it over and over again. I even like give up some relationship because of Saigon, because I don't want to live here. I don't want to leave my country, my people, and also that I think that I have a purpose here to make. I am. I think that I call myself an idealist. That I want to make a change to make Saigon's better because I see the potential, and especially when I have nieces and nephew, uh, they are fifteen, eighteen years old now. So I want to make a small impact to make the society better, so they can grow up in a better environment. Mm-hmm. So. completely agree i mean we talk about the development of saigon and things are changing but i think now is almost like 
the prime time to make things better for the future, whether that's for the environment or whatnot. Like now when things are changing, we need to make sure things are set up now so that in 10 or 20 years when it's fully developed or more developed, whatever stage of development it's at, those things are already in place. So we need to start now, not yes. like 20, 30 years. So you, you've got an educational foundation. So tell that, is that your purpose then? Is that part of what brought you back here? Yes, that's something that want to, sorry. Uh, so the foundation, I call it Mum Thung. It's very Vietnamese name and I love it. It sounds so loving if you understand Vietnamese. Mum Thung Foundation. Uh, that what makes me want to wake up every morning. That's, I found my purpose after the trip, after the bombing attack. Um, I want to, you know, because I, when I see children, because I have nieces and nephews, when I see the kids, I see, young, I see young people, I see the future. So, you know, there's no way, because I believe in education, there's nothing going to stop you from getting proper education. That's going to change your life a lot. That will make your life and your, your family a life much better uh, so because that i think i always feel like i'm such a i have such a privileged life now i'm so lucky i always claim myself a lucky person that i have a lot so that's why that's why that i want to share that with everyone um i want to give uh underprivileged children living in rural cities or even some districts in saigon where you will see a lot of like homeless kids um, yeah, I we the purpose is we want to sponsor for them to go to school. That's it. Very simple, okay. because we, a very simple philosophy that if they can take care of themselves, they will take care of their family, and moreover, they will take care of the society. If the people symbol with that, I mean education yes. is everything, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. I always remember when I worked for charity back in Australia, and um, we tell a story about. I think it was kids in Sudan who would break into a school to read books, you know, or because they didn't have the money for the education, so they would break in to read books. Whereas in the West, you have a lot of kids who bloody go to schools to break windows just for fun, it's, you know, mm. don't understand the, how lucky they are to have yes. that, you know. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So how's that been going? How many kids have you sponsored? Uh, we just started a few months back, so we are developing the website, so we currently have three uh, children to sponsor, really good start. And we have a list of like 10 or 20 more. So we are going to see them, talk to them, and hear about their story. It's all about story, where yeah. you feel like connected, where you feel empathy with the story. And what districts are you focusing on or what cities? Um, not any specific districts. Anywhere I see that we can help. Con currently, there's one kid from uh, Tân Bình and the other two in uh, Đồng Nai. Yeah, a bit like far, like 30, 40 kilometers from Saigon. And do you go visit with them, meet the parents, yes. see the situation? Yes, and, yes. And how, what's the reaction been then when you've been able to fund that education? You know, they just get, they, they're so pure, they're so, I don't know how to say it, but when I hear the story that how uh, um, suffering the family uh, make a living and how much they want to get education. They want to go to class, uh, learn how to speak English and stuff. Oh my God. It just, you know, it just melts your heart. They're so simple. And, you know, growing up, like people taught you a lot to be afraid of life, to scare of things and to be skeptical with 
like all the people relationship life. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? No, life shouldn't be that, you know, uh, negative. It should be hope. I think hope is the only key message that I want to give to the children. As long as you're trying hard, to so work hard, there's always people out there helping you right there by your side. Beautiful. So I want to be, you know, that support uh, for the children because I think the reason why that I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I didn't have that support uh, from the family. I, I don't want to study business at all. I always love arts and history. But my parents always want me to become a doctor, a lawyer and stuff. Very typical, right? And uh, turns out that I'm, I, I'm okay with my career. But I wish that I had more freedom uh, to go for art and uh, history. It does make me a little bit sad uh, being, a, being an English teacher in the past and um, being here for so long. There is that pressure, and that's a very kind of like Asian stereotype, but I think it's one of those ones that's based in reality to become an accountant, a doctor, something like that. And there, there doesn't seem to be as much um, kind of acceptance of the arts or you know, something different other than those yeah. like prescribed kind yes. of um, jobs. And if someone doesn't do it, then I guess it's like disappointment, right? Or, yeah. or whatnot, which is a shame because there's obviously so much more. You know, I have, um, so one of my nurses, uh, she is now 16 and she has to think about what she want to do in life. So she asked me that whether she can be an interior designer or a doctor. I'm like, no, you don't have to do all those kind of things if you don't want to. Not because of your parents, which is my brother, uh, asked you to do. Do whatever you want as long as you can be responsible for your life, can make enough living that you're not going to depend on your parents, that's okay. I'm happy to see you being an artist, uh, um, sitting on a street, venting. If that makes you happy, go for it. And yeah, so that's how that now I become a great support for my nieces. And do you think that with a generational change in Vietnam, do you think that's starting to change away from the, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a doctor, like you have to be an accountant, is that starting to be different? Um... To be honest, um, I don't think it changed a lot. But, you know, I think the young people, the, the generation now, they're so smart, they're capable of doing great things in life, but they don't have uh, someone to guide them. So I see that potential in them, that I want to be that person for them. So, yeah, I always have hope that people ask me that what I'm good at I always tell people that, uh, you know, seeing good things in people is my greatest strength. <laughs> I like it. It's lovely. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the, <laughs> sorry, that's beautiful. And I, I think that's an amazing thing as well. Um, let's go back to, you ended up back in the food and beverage industry. <laughs> Again. Oh Again. my God. So many times that I told my headhunter that I'm so done with alcohol. So please don't send me any job that required me to stay late in, uh, in the market uh, on the street. Uh, but I end up the one time, it's funny, one time the girl, she was so nice. She was just talking a lot about uh, the guy who is my boss right now. He's, he's Indian, but he's not like typical Indian. But I'm like, mm, I don't want to, but because you're talking a lot about him. So, okay, I'll go see him. 
But at end up, we it was not a regular interview, so we end up talking for like two hours straight about the business, about the Vietnam market. So I end up working for them. Right <laughs> <laughs> so tell us who who is it you're working for now then? Um, Bira ninety one. And tell us about that. Uh, it's a great uh, company. You know, it's it's not owned by the biggest guy like Airbnb or Diageo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. You know, everyone's got that phrase. Right? <laughs> uh, but hope is not so soon. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's a product. Um, really, we call it flavorful because we offer a lot of flavors. Second is a shakenable. Everything under five percent of alcohol with low bitterness. That you know, Asian people prefer having something light and fresh, so they can stay all night, like five hours. Uh, drinking a case of like 24 or maybe two cases so and the last is affordable we believe in the good quality and a good price so people can enjoy the good beer which is a big point of difference right because um yeah. there's so many players in the craft beer market now and i love that and i love my hoppy bitter beers <laughs> strong ones are difficult though because you know sometimes i don't want to be wasted i just want to have a light beer yes. and I've, i'm now started recently gravitating away from the strong hoppy seven point five percent because I want I just want to have a light beer. Yep. And yep. you know not be wasted after one beer. So I guess that and then then appealing to the Vietnamese market who are maybe not attracted to the strong hoppy beers. Yeah. That how is it going so far? That sounds like it it's, could work. We uh, the products only here for like one month and a half. We have really positive feedback from consumer. They love the branding with you know with the monkey, uh, face very flavorful funky uh you know always like go out of uh norms like the regular norm so yeah i i think it's gonna be really potential uh in the next uh, one or two years so we're actually going to give away a six pack of beer 91 right yes with three flavors number one is lager we call it summer blonde summer lager two is a wheat beer we call it white And the other one is IPA. It's not a strong hoppy uh, with healthy alcohol IPA that you usually have uh, um, in, in the market, like local craft beers. But it's going to be really, again, light, uh, low alcohol, fresh. You can drink a lot. So, yes. Well, so if you're listening and you want to win a six-pack of beer, go to the Facebook page, 7 Million Bite, Saigon Podcast. Leave a review. Tell me what you think about the podcast, whether it's good, bad, or terrible. I want to hear from you. <laughs> Tell us what you think of this episode, and um, we'll put you into a draw, and the winner will get a six-pack from Beer and 91. Yes, and it's not only the beers, the six-packs, and I will give away the T-shirt with very nice uh, monkey head and blank card. Yes. Awesome. Very nice design, and maybe one opener. You know, you, you need to open it. She's going to give you a whole pack of stuff. So <laughs> go onto Facebook, leave a review. That would be amazing. And you can win some beer, which is good beer. I tried it recently at the beer festival. And uh, yeah, another beer to try. So we're going to move on to the, the final questions that I ask everyone at the end of okay. uh, Seven Million Bikes Season two. So the first one is, what bike do you drive? And how do you deal with the Saigon traffic? <laughs> Again, I don't think that I'm very typical Vietnamese because I don't drive. I do have a bike. It's a Vision um, Blue. <laughs> yes, I, I do have a bike, but I don't drive a lot. First, because I don't have a license. Uh, sorry. 
<laughs> Does anyone in Vietnam? I actually do, but I think most people don't. I don't think all of us has. Well, because most most of people will have a license. It's so easy to get. But like people lazy like me, uh, it's a bit like illegal. <laughs> so how do you get about then? So I always uh, a big customers of you know like B Grab, GoVid, like whatever uh, Uber before that. Um, you know, I don't want to suffer a lot of like uh, noise traffics and the heat of saigon is so hot outside so and also is you know so are you a, are you a grab car person or a grab bike both you know in the morning i don't want to spend like half an hour to go to work which is only take me 10 or 15 minutes max on a bike so i usually hop on a bike in the morning and i after a day so tired that i will take a, a car so it's so much relaxed and easier yeah yeah sure. it's a reward for you after a long day <laughs> <laughs> drinking beer all day drinking beer all day. <laughs> um so what's the oddest thing you've seen on a bike to be honest as a vietnamese there's nothing can surprise us anymore but not what's not the most surprising <laughs> <laughs> what's the oddest thing and if you've lived here since you were five years old i'm sure you must have seen some very on odd a bike thing. maybe put on your western glasses for this and imagine from a western point of view not a bike but i remember i saw a bicycle carrying in the back a bike that's the weirdest <laughs> thing man that, a I'm push like, bike yeah a mo- yeah a bicycle carrying a motorbike on the back in the back i'm like how does it happen how is it even possible and one bike you know can hold up to six persons six six people like two parents and four kids That was a question I thought about asking is what's the what's the most amount of people you've seen on oh a bike? Oh my god. If you've not lived here then you, people won't understand what we're talking about. It still amazes me somehow yeah. some way. It's uh, I think the most I've seen is maybe six or seven on a bike. Even seven? Maybe I can't remember now oh off my. the top of my head but yeah it's I amazing. I think that I still have a photo I can send it to you later. <laughs> there's websites there's websites out there with like just things that you see on the back okay. of bikes in Vietnam okay. it's pretty funny um so you got 24 hours off you don't need to go into work you don't need to answer any emails you got a day off in Saigon tell me about your ideal 24 hours off in Saigon what do you do interesting um if I have 24 hours completely off I think that I will wake up early in the morning seven sorry uh with a cup That's of late tea for Vietnam. Seven. seven in the morning that's late for vietnam that's everyone's really, up at six it's you know? really early for me <laughs> for you, know? you i always go home at 12 or like yeah, 2, 2 a.m um so i will get up at seven start a day with a cup of tea and then i will head out uh at one of my favorite uh brunch like breakfast uh spots in saigon which is opac You know, OPAC, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I love being a tourist in the city, in my own city. So I, and I love writing people, writing postcards and sending to people. So I think after, after breakfast, that I will go to the boss office, the city boss office and buy some postcards, writing people. And then I will just work along Nguyen Hoi or Dong Khoi Street. And then I'll check out some museums. I love museums. I love art, but there's not a lot of options here or... Uh, any exhibition art galleries wandering around i will get another coffee uh, which one have you got a favorite coffee spot you would go to my favorite coffee um there's a very small coffee place in saigon so small it's called nap 
actually in Vietnamese people say it nấp, but in you know it, but in English people call it nap. Really small, where you can get a quite like decent egg coffee from the north. Yes. Whereabouts is that? Um, it's just it's just right here. Um, I think it's in D one nấp nấp or nap Saigon. We'll, we'll N- put a, N-A-B, a link to it. N A B Saigon. Yeah. All right. So then you have your your coffee still in the morning. What's next? I will sit at a coffee shop and reading a book. So my my all the time uh, uh, favorite author is uh, Simon Sinek. Uh, start with why, if if you know. Uh, very, so you did the famous YouTube video about start with why. Yes, right? and millennial about, and stuff, mm. and that's that how um, that I that changed my life a lot. How I see things in business and corporate. Uh, environments how i how to uh, like form and shape my leadership uh, style um but right now my current book i'm I'm reading now is uh, a book from Barack obama called dreams for my father mm. i just finished uh, the book from his wife michelle obama uh becoming is fantastic i love books i used to have a library and tea shop yeah yeah you were I, saying yeah that. i grew up with book because i am the only child to my dad I was not allowed to go out, hang out with my friends, so I just stay home and read books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love books. So <laughs> I would, I think I would stay there for like a couple of hours, like two or three hours. Yeah, uh, ordering some drinks, and then I will again. I'll just walk along, um, uh, the river, Second River. Maybe take a grab to another favorite spot. I, I might invite some of my friends to join me. We're up to like lunchtime now. So where, where would you go for lunch? Lunch. London. I think I will go back to D2. Um, so right now, I love those in uh, where you want to be seen, where you want to see people at the same time. But I love um, uh, River Cottage in D2, if you know. It's a very hidden, hidden place in, in Saigon. Um, river Cottage by the river. So quiet. And it's a homestay. Home they offer seven rooms only. It's a home state, it's a restaurant, it's also a bar. Quiet. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that I will end up at um, the ATM again. <laughs> the ATM or the LA for uh, a cocktail. Yeah. Relax, doing nothing. I don't want to talk to people uh, except the bartender. And it's a good thing that you don't need to look at the menu to order a drink. You always can tell the bartender what type of liquor that you want to go. That's a base. At the flavors you want, like sour, sweet, bitter, something, and they will make it accordingly. Yeah, I love that when they do that. I remember request. the first time that happened to me. I was like, "Wait, what do you mean? What are, what are I doing? Like, just tell the liquor, yeah. and then they have to give you the." I was like, "What do you mean flavor?" And then they give you the examples. Like, oh, okay, right, I kind of get this. <laughs> so now you've got a week off, right? Mm. You get a week to explore Vietnam. Mm. Where would you go? I think I would choose uh, the north, north. The top north, like Sabah and stuff. I went there uh, one time uh, for a trekking trip, but I didn't stay long enough to explore the whole town or Hoi An. If I have, if I had a, a week, I could go there, stay in one villa again, read the book, or like two or three. Um, yeah, making friends with local people. That's it. I don't want to do a lot. I've been traveling a lot and doing a lot of things. So really relax. Just relax. Easy life. <laughs> it's important. To re-energize yourself. Now, last question, and I hope you have a good answer for this because you're in the food and beverage industry. Okay. So somewhere, I guess, that we've not mentioned already because we've mm-hmm. mentioned ATM, which my question is, do you have a hidden gem 
that you can share with people? I would say the ATM is probably one of the best hidden gems. We've already mentioned it, so something else. Okay. Um, the hidden gem, I think that two places. Um, Barber, Barber Saigon. Do you know that? I've heard of that. I haven't been back. Yes. Tell us a bit about that then. It's a, it's a barber uh, shop in on second floor. But downstairs, it kind of like looks like a basement, but it's on a ground floor. It's a bar. It's um, it's a little bit like similar concept with the ATM, but they only have like six seats. That's it. It's like a speakeasy, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, where you have very nice, decent cocktail. Again, quiet. You know, they play jazz. I am big. I am a big fan of jazz and was classic music. Well, last, one of our previous guests is a jazz singer. Do you know Ella Beth? No, I don't. She was a finalist on the Vietnamese Voice. She's okay. a jazz singer, so she does a lot of gigs around town doing, doing okay. jazz. Look out for her. Yeah, they play Louis Armstrong, uh, Frank Sinatra, Leonard Cohen. I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Leonard Cohen. Oh, cool. I, I even have a list, like, with two, more than 200 songs from Leonard Cohen's, and I name it Man for My Dream. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what was your second hidden gem? Um, I think I mentioned it earlier, uh, River Cottage. Oh, yeah. Yes. Need to look that one up. So we'll post the links to these places uh, in the show notes and people can look them up if sure, you want to sure, go. Sure, Thank you very much. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, thank you for the prize. So just remember, if you want to win, tell us what uh, a listener can win. Um, a six-pack with six bottle with three flavors and a little bit extra gifts like the T-shirt. Uh, some keychain with a really cool design. I'm sure no branding, so you will like feel absolutely happy to carry it around. Some playing card that even you're not a fan of uh, beer or 91 or beer, that you can always carry it around. <laughs> I don't want to be too branding. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for offering that. So go onto the Facebook page, leave a review, tell us that you've watched this episode, and we'll choose one winner to win that. And so what's happening next with Beer 91? Have you got any big plans? Um, so next year is going to be, uh, really busy with us. So we're planning to, um, win the market, but it's not like a massive commercial brands that you will see, uh, but it's going to be really, they, we offer really cool things. We give, uh, what, what is different between like Bira and the other brands is because we offer, uh, a lot of flavors with, within one brand, uh, and it's for the young generation low out of alcohol, low bitterness, and also uh, freedom with funky uh, uh, style. And, you know, it's going to be really fit for consumer, Vietnamese consumer uh, here. And where uh, can you find it in Saigon? Right now, you can go to Odot Quan, B-Graph, Brilliant. Do you know Brilliant? Yeah, yeah I love yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. BAM, some, some lo- um, like Vietnamese local uh, craft beer, like the color, BAM. Oh man, I forgot. But it's a long list. I can, I can, I can share later. Yeah, cool. Yes. All right, we'll yeah. go out, have a beer. I know I'm ready for one now. Cool. Uh, thank you so much. This has been awesome. It's been amazing having you on. And uh, guys, thanks for listening, and have a great day. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave a review on Facebook if you want to be in with a chance to win some beer ninety one merchandise and a six pack of beers thank you very much to Yangsin for uh, giving that as a prize thanks to her as well for an amazing interview today 
great to hear her stories and uh, her background in life and her romantic love story of how her mum and dad overcame adversity. Thank you to Lewis Wright for composing the theme music and to Lane Wynn for helping design the cover art. Thanks to everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe or leave a review if you can. And have a great day. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.